not on. Hello? Am I on? I don't know that I'm on. There it is. Good. I, um, I would love for you all to come every Sunday to the cathedral and do that every Sunday morning. I will receive that. That was great. Thank you. Well, um, it is a great honor and a privilege to be here on this uh, auspicious occasion here at St. Paul's Somerville. I have great affection for this parish and uh, am thrilled to be here for my brother Tyler and sister Lanier and their whole family. Well, um, last year was something uh, rather extraordinary. Something happened that I've, well, I've lived in South Carolina or been attached to the state since 1997, and nothing like this had happened in my whole time of being connected with South Carolina. And I'm pretty sure uh, prior to me coming, nothing like this had ever happened uh, up in, before I came either. And you may not know what I'm talking about, but here's what happened. Tyler Prescott and his fellow Gamecock faithful got to say about a major men's sport, we are national champions. <laughs> and just a few days ago, the words University of South Carolina and back-to-back -back national champions were uttered in the same sentence as uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. squeezed the last out in his glove in the final game of the College World Series. Now, Gamecocks, back-to-back -back national champions. Seems like a contradiction in terms. <laughs> well, it may be a contradiction in terms, but it's one that Tyler, I am certain, is quite happy to embrace. And maybe many of you here as well. But you know, if you're a Christian, embracing seeming contradictions is something that we're called to do all the time. Uh, our Savior Christ Jesus is fully man and fully God. He is priest and sacrifice. He is king and servant. And he tells us that if we want to truly live, we must die. And it would seem that those first followers of Jesus, they, they picked up on the contradictions. And so they preached and they teached such contradictions, just like Jesus. Just hear the words of St. Peter again that we just heard from chapter 5. Here's what it says in verse 1. As he writes and describes his station as that of a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Sufferings and glory. Isn't that a contradiction in terms? And yet, that is the description Peter uses to describe his life as an elder, as a presbyter, as a leader, a shepherd, a priest in the church. Gamecocks, back-to-back -back national champions. Sounds like a contradiction in terms that is, of course, unless it isn't. It's not a contradiction in terms if we know better. So here's the question. Can we conceive of a life where sufferings and glory aren't contradictions at all, but in a beautiful way we know better that in fact they go together. They go right together. Maybe we all remember that, that old folk tale um, of Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox and the Tar Baby. It's kind of a familiar tale, but in case you don't remember it, it goes something like this. Br'er Fox kind of ruled this part of the 
of the county, and along comes this guy, Br'er Rabbit, and Br'er Rabbit was just a real pain in the neck to Br'er Fox. Br'er Fox had had about enough of Br'er Rabbit, and so he came up with this very clever plan, because of course he's a fox. And he decided he would create a baby made of tar and turpentine. So he fashioned a little baby, put a straw hat it, put it in the road, and waited in the bushes as Br'er Rabbit came hopping by. And Br'er Rabbit hopped up to that tar baby and said, Well, hello there, fine weather we're having. To which the tar baby replied, <laughs> Well, perhaps you're deaf, said Br'er Rabbit. So I'll shout a little bit louder. Fine day we're having, aren't we? Hello there, to which the tar baby replied. Well, maybe you're just stuck up and don't know better than to speak to fine people when they come by. I said, hello there, fine day we're having. And of course, the tar baby said nothing. And finally, Br'er Rabbit had had enough of this, and he says, if you don't take that straw hat off your head and acknowledge me, I am going to smack you upside the head. And sure enough, that tar baby just stared right at him. And so Br'er Rabbit hauled off and socked him in the side of the head, and his hand got stuck there. And he said, if you don't turn me loose, I'm going to hit you with the other hand. And sure enough, he hit him with the other hand. And then he had both hands. If you don't turn loose of both my hands, I'm going to kick you. And he kicked him with his right foot. He didn't turn loose, kicked him with his left foot. And he said, all right, I'm going to headbutt you. And he headbutted the tar baby, and he was good and stuck. And out came Br'er Fox laughing. He said, well, look who's stuck up now. Br'er Rabbit, you're all stuck up. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a fire and I'm going to roast you. And Br'er Rabbit said to Br'er Fox, oh, Br'er Fox, yes, make a fire as high as you want and roast me as long as you want, but whatever you do, please don't throw me in that briar patch over there. And Br'er Fox looked around and he said, well, I don't have anything to make fire with, so I guess what I'm going to do is I'm going to hang you. To which Br'er Rabbit said, okay, hang me as high as you want for as long as you like, but whatever you do, Br'er Fox, don't throw me in that briar patch. And Br'er Fox said, well, I don't have any strings, so I guess what I'll do is I'll drown you. And Br'er Rabbit said, okay, drown me in as deep and as cold a water as you like, but whatever you do, please don't throw me in that briar patch. He said, well, I don't have any water nearby, so I guess I'll skin you. He said, oh, skin me, skin me as fast as you like. Whatever you do, don't throw me in that briar patch. And Br'er Fox realized, he said, you know what, you don't seem too scared of that, but you do seem to be scared of that briar patch. And so with that, Br'er Fox yanked Br'er Rabbit and he tossed him into that Br'er, briar patch kerplunk. And there was a flutter and there was a kerfluffle and the Br'er Rabbit landed with an ooh, ow, ee, ah. And he screeched and he squalled and then he started to go quiet, a little weak whisper, and Br'er Fox listened, didn't hear anything, and he stood up triumphant, said, I got him, Br'er Rabbit is dead. But then he heard a scuffling away at the other end of the briar patch. And lo and behold, who does Br'er Fox see scrambling out but Br'er Rabbit playing a briar brush whistle, singing, born and bred in the briar patch, that's me. I told you not to throw me there in all the world. That's the place I love best. And with a lippity clip, he hopped away. Now, Br'er Rabbit, he had a unique perspective, you might say. He knew better about that briar patch. And in the eyes of Br'er Fox and of just about any one of us here, those briars would be a terrible place to be thrown. 
No one wants to be thrown into a place of, of thorny pain. The sufferings that they would inflict would be the end of it. That's all we could imagine. But Br'er Rabbit could see past all that to the fact that it was the briar patch. That thorny, painful place, all those thorns, was actually the way to life and to freedom. For Br'er Rabbit, a briar patch of all places was synonymous with going home. How our perspective changes everything. What you see and know transforms what you say and how you act. Now, Peter wrote this letter, this first epistle, to a suffering church. These were Christians who were caught in the tar of persecution, and for them, death was imminent every single day of their lives. And yet, Peter would speak of glory and of rejoicing in the face of that. Right off the bat, in the very first words of this letter, he writes of them having grace and peace, not just added to them, but multiplied. He writes, if his pen could shout, these would be words shouted in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been thrown into the briar patch. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, what a follower of Jesus knows and sees when he or she looks upon the thorns, upon the nails, upon the suffering of Jesus on the cross is very different from what everyone else might see. When Br'er Fox flung Br'er Rabbit into that briar patch, he reveled and he cried out, he said, I got him, Br'er Rabbit is dead. And those who crucified Jesus, as they looked upon a dead man on the cross, and as they put his body in the tomb, reveled in much the same way. They got him. Jesus is dead. That Good Friday, they thought, was the end of the story. And of course, his, his followers, they despaired in the face of it. But three days later, Jesus' followers had their perspective changed. They now had a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, as Peter describes it, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for them. And so armed with this, they know better. They know better. They can see past the thorns of the briar patch. Peter can encourage them legitimately and he does so in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, In this knowledge you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The cross seemed like defeat for a little while until it was revealed to be the ultimate victory. And that's the kind of perspective followers of Jesus have. We have a vision of reality that is a contradiction for all those who can't see beyond the briar patch. For those who are stuck in the perishable and haven't 
uh, been born again to a living hope, what they have is a truncated story. They have an incomplete story. Peter quotes Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 8 at the end of chapter 1 of this epistle. He writes, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. And you see, those without a living hope, they stop right there. That's, that's all they know. Because, you know, of course, everyone knows that, that life is limited. It doesn't last forever. But they miss this last part. The grass withers, the flower falls, but, Peter writes, the word of the Lord remains forever. And he goes on, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And that good news changes everything. Contradictions become amazing truths in which to glory and rejoice. Sufferings and glory. The sufferings of Christ have brought glory to all those who share in them. For all those who share in His sufferings also share in His glorious resurrection. St. Paul wrote this in Romans 6. Maybe you remember this. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And St. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, he speaks of having full courage and he has the audacity to say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Contradiction, it doesn't add up. And I love that. I love this idea of having full courage. I think of the, the writer to the Hebrews talking about um, that confidence that comes as we walk before the, the throne of grace. And it's not some kind of blind machismo that we're talking about here, but instead it is a description of those of us who have had the good news preached to us, who've received the revelation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, dead, buried, and gloriously resurrected. And it's from that vantage point that Peter writes this very encouraging letter to the suffering church. And he tells them these audacious things, these outrageous things, these contradictions. He says, you can be rejected by men and not fret because you've been chosen by God. He says you can submit to harsh authority and not lose heart as you do good because you are always in the sight of God. You can be modest and not worry about getting the upper hand because your hidden beauty is imperishable and it's precious in God's sight. And you don't need to seek revenge, but instead bless because you've received a blessing. And the world will be bewildered by you. They will not get it as you don't join them in the fleeting sensual pleasures of this world. You see, they don't have the living hope. They have an incomplete story. They can't see beyond the briar patch. And so, it's all still a big contradiction to them. But if we're honest, here in this church, it doesn't take much for any of us to slip right back into that limited perspective, does it? It happens all the time. We become those who know that the flesh is like grass that withers, but we have forgotten that the word of the Lord remains forever. 
And so even as the church is to be a model in the world, there are those who are called to be a model in the church to bring that word of the Lord that lasts forever, to preach that good news. And that's why we're here tonight. The church has identified and called a man to be ordained as an elder among us. And what does that mean? Well, Tyler, I believe it means this, that you are called to be an exemplary, living contradiction of sufferings and glory for this body and whomever you meet along the way, so that those who are under your care can go out and do the same, or more accurately, be the same. So those lacking the eternal perspective of the good news might think of leadership and authority. They may look at it and think, oh, I get it. It's so that he can be a king guy, a guy that will gather for himself power and influence. That's why we're ordaining this guy, right. Or they'll think, oh, it's a chief executive who, who gathers wealth and material prosperity for himself. That's why we're ordaining this guy. And those are the kinds of leaders, of course, that the people with limited perspective understand. Those who would think that leadership is about grabbing what you can while you can because time is limited. But Peter describes the elders here at the very end of this letter. And what he describes is not a leader that the world would understand. Uh, it echoes the kind of contradiction that the Lord Jesus himself used to describe his leadership. Elders are called not to be kings of subjects or CEOs of underlings, but are called to be shepherds of the flock of God. Elders are called to exercise their vocation as shepherds. And he writes, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And it just, that doesn't add up, does it? Leadership is supposed to have perks, right? That's the idea of it anyway. Tyler, are you sure you want to go through with this, brother? It would appear that leader, as the world understands it, and shepherd, as Peter describes it, are contradictions in terms. It would appear that Tyler is standing on the bluff, standing over a vast lifetime in the briar patch. Now, as I look at him, he looks as cute, cool as a cucumber, as if he might know better. This man who left a promising career in engineering for this calling to be an elder, a presbyter, a shepherd, a priest in the church, seems to know something. And you do know better, don't you, Tyler? You do know that you are being called into a briar patch. You know that. You do know that you are being called to a life of sufferings and glory. The world may think it's a total contradiction, but your flock needs to see your example uh, as one who is a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the, the glory that is going to be revealed. You see, there is a greater shepherd. There's a chief shepherd who transformed the briar patch into the way to life and freedom. He took upon himself a crown 
of thorns, briars even. And he's given those of us who will walk the way of his cross an unfading crown of glory. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in the very next verse, how is that to happen? He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Tyler, we stand up, brother. I know that you know that. I've seen you live it. I've seen you and Lanier. Lanier, why don't you stand up too? I've seen the both of you live it together. As you faced the seemingly insurmountable hurdles of the Department of Social Services bureaucracy, <laughs> and you persevered through it all until we were all standing together in that courtroom as my godson was officially adopted wherever he is. There he is, Tyler Moses. And as you all received <clears throat> the diagnosis of Susanna's cancer and you balanced marriage and parenthood of the other children, travel back and forth to Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Charleston and doing all that for the treatments. And then on top of that, you did seminary. My friends, you know sufferings. And praise be to God, you know glory. You shouldn't be here, right? It's a contradiction. That isn't less. It isn't. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ's sufferings on the cross and the glory of His mighty resurrection, you have been born again to a living hope. You know better. You know that you can exercise this ministry to which you have been called with all of its thorns. You can quite happily be flung into the briar patch and be a shepherd to the flock of God because He has prepared the way for you. The Gamecocks really are back-to-back -back national champions. <laughs> and Tyler Prescott really is going to be ordained an elder in the church. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, there really can be sufferings and glory. <clears throat>